Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in. It has been a fair amount of time since I've podcasted. Lots going on here. Um, you know, a lot of that really important work that just... That important work of soul-searching and cleaning and home-organizing. And, you know, there's there's no good way to document that or share it. But the fruitfulness of of life that comes afterwards really testifies to the work itself. So I'm excited to podcast some more. I'm excited to um, share more things with you. I, I've gotten a lot of really positive responses from the people who've been listening thus far. And I'm very excited for just continuing this friendship that we have through the airwaves. Um, and also across time, because I get to record these in the slow process of life, and you can catch up on a backlog binge, and it's great. So, um, today we're going to talk about choosing our reactions. Now, this is a really, really important subject. Um, so let me give you the, the situation that prompted this podcast and then I'll we'll, we'll we'll break it down. So um Ben and I were out having an adventure yesterday and we were really enjoying ourselves and I I was about to tell him something that I I felt God had shown me about someone we really care about and it was really deep and it was a really vulnerable thing about this person that that God had just put on my heart. And Ben, Ben made a joke before I was able to finish. And, um, the, the, there were some misunderstandings in the course of things. And I got so angry that I, I, uh, I smacked him. Now, uh, the beautiful part of this scenario that you need to know is that, we worked it out in about 20 minutes and we bounced back and we enjoyed the rest of our day. And that is the beauty of grace and forgiveness. And that is the beauty of learning to let go of things quickly and resolve them quickly. And oh my good glorious God, am I thankful to have a husband who takes responsibility and then he finds the joy in life again. And that was one of the best pieces of marriage advice I got. Um, when we were dating, which was after you have a conflict, do something fun that reminds you that you're friends. And so we talked it out. There were, there were actually a couple layers to it, but once we talked it out and we both felt bad together, you know, Ben, Ben found the joy and the humor again. And I just jumped right in and we did not give in to any wallowing or self-pity or sullenness. And the reason that that is so beautiful to me is that interactions like that in my personal family history had the tendency to spoil the rest of the day. And honestly, life is too short to let an entire afternoon get sullied emotionally because just life is too short for that. Get over it. There are a lot of little things in life. You need to voice why it made you mad. You need to voice the historical reason why it made you especially mad. And then 
you move on. You move on. So that was wonderful and just a huge testimony to the blessing that marriage is when you wait for the person that God has for you. And it is, I, I, oh gosh, I'm so, so thankful to have been as my husband and I'd rather be single again than married to someone who does not, married to someone without his quality of character. So, so grateful for Ben. Um, And he's been so gracious with me. Now, let's deal with the really awkward part where I smacked my husband. And shortly after that moment, I realized that my anger was righteous, but my action was not. My reaction was not righteous at all. And I realized, and I voiced this, and I said, I felt embarrassed by what I just did. I feel embarrassed by my behavior. I don't want to do this again. And so I was thinking about it today. And I was like, okay, what reaction... If I could go back to that scenario and reprogram my response, what would I do differently? And I ran through a couple of things. Would I whistle really loud or something? Like, how do I get the attention? How do I wave the big flag that says, yo, buddy, this is not cool? Because growing up in my family, we were very loud. We were very violent So saying words did not get the response that it needed. The, I'm going to go on a tangent here, but, but bear with me. So my best friend growing up was into horses. And she said that when you're riding a dressage horse that is very well trained, you can give them the slightest nudge with your left thigh. And they will know that you want to do something to the left. And they will, they're able to hear that small input. She said it's very, very frustrating to ride a trail pony that has lots of kids on it. Because the trail pony is used to untrained riders who they make lots of loud movements. Loud isn't really the word. But they make lots of exaggerated movements. You know, they, they kick and they thrust and... And so the pony has learned that the riders, the pony has learned to respond to the input of the untrained riders. And so the, 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 that pony only reacts to very loud movements. It's the best phrasing I can come up with. And so there's a real beauty to the relationship that she had with her well-trained horse, which was she could give it that small impetus and he knew what she wanted. And their body language was very, very coordinated and was able to be very quiet. And so to take that back to my family history, you know, the quiet, the quiet protests, the quiet flags um, didn't get enough attention in my family for various reasons. Um, And so we had to be loud. So we were loud with our voices. We were loud with our tone and our words. And we were loud with our physical actions. And so I realized, okay, I need to... I I don't want to smack my husband. Like, this this is a pattern that I've had. And it needs to change. Like, I'm embarrassing him. I'm embarrassing me. I've done it in front of other people. That's not cool. I'm probably 
risking embarrassing him by sharing this on this podcast. However, I have the faith that our relationship is healthy enough that we can share this messy side of our struggle with you for you to learn from. Um, So, I was laying on the porch thinking about this and praying about it and God reminded me of one of the things that my friends do when she needs to get attention from her children. And she has a she has two sons. Well, I've got two friends who both have two sons. Love them both to pieces. Love all all of them to pieces. Anyways. And so she will say, "No, sir." And her tone will be very strong, but she won't have to yell. And yelling is a is a is a sliding scale. Um, my ballet teachers used to say, I, "I'm tired of yelling at you." You know, I was like, "You're not yelling at us," because again, I was my my senses of those flags were so heightened that when someone when someone felt they were yelling at me, I was like. You didn't raise your voice into this caliber of tone, so it didn't count as yelling. But the words that... Anyways, enough of that tangent. So, my friend will raise her tone, but not to an abrasive yelling point. Um, But it will be the kind of tone where it, it gets your attention. Like, no, sir, this is not acceptable. Not acceptable is a really great phrase that we've adopted in our household. And it's... uh. It's a little bit painful when it comes out, but it gets your attention. And it's really beautiful when we can use quiet words to get our attention. And we agree on that within our relationship. This is a two-person agreement. If one person tries to use quiet words, but the other person does not agree to receive that or understand it or pick up on it or share in that, then... You cannot use quiet words successfully in that relationship. You need to try something else. So it's very much dependent on the relationship. Um, So I was thinking about this phrase, no, sir. And I remembered something that my aunt told me many, 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 many years ago when she was training their dog. And she said that when you train your dog... It's really important that you always speak their name with a positive tone. And when they do something bad, you say, no, sir. And that way, their name is attached to their identity. And when you always, when you, if you consistently say their name positively, you reinforce your love for them both the person and, in this case, my aunt training her dog. And when you choose to use the phrase, no, sir, the emphasis, you know, the word sir, it is a respectful word. Um, it is associated to their person and their, their gender, obviously, because that's how the English language works. Um, but, it is pointed at their behavior, not their name, and thereby you are not attacking their identity. You are not attacking their relationship with you. So, if I could go back 
to that scenario and think about what I would do differently, I would choose to say, no, sir. And then we would work it out. And I know that, that Ben Ben is, bless the Benable. Blen, I can't talk. Ben is sensitive enough that I could say, no, sir. And I would get his attention. He He's the one teaching me to use quiet words. And so he's he's the one, oh my goodness, how many times in this podcast am I going to say bless my husband? So there have been times in our relationship, and uh, this is, I keep track of when things happened in our marriage based on what apartment we were in at the time, because we've been in three apartments. Anyways, so this is back in 27, no, 2018. We were in, in 2018, I was very angry about a particular situation and I raised my voice on that yelling sliding scale and it wasn't in the caliber of yelling that I considered yelling, but Ben said, Meg, I respect your emotions, but you will not shout at me. And so he was really firm in his boundary there and that was him teaching me, okay, I need to make my awareness of my yelling volume scale and I need to bring that, I need to expand that and bring it lower so that I know that, you know, when I get my tone up like this, that qualifies as yelling. Um, so, by going back thinking through the situation and praying about it and repenting before God and repenting to Ben and and saying to God, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to continue this pattern. And patterns are really, really hard to change, but they're really, really important to change. And if you've listened to my podcast, Why Does God Heal Slowly? You know, part of it is this reason of We have all these little baby patterns in these little micro patterns in all these different areas. And it's God likes to zoom in on one at a time and he likes to push us on one at a time. And if we can change one pattern, then it'll help us. We'll we'll, we'll begin to gather that momentum to say, okay, I'm doing better in these other areas. But now this one, this pattern is standing out as not being healthy. For example, if Ben, if Ben, when Ben confronted me about my yelling tone and that, that scale of yelling is up here, yelling is up here. I'm trying to make this friendly for the audio for the podcast, but you, you get the sense. I hope you get the sense of what I'm trying to communicate. When Ben confronted me about my, my yelling scale being not sensitive enough, I was more of that untrained pony. I needed loud words. Um, if I had not responded to that and changed my pattern, that would have continued to create friction in our marriage and our relationship, number one. But number two, God would still be dealing with me on that pattern. And I would be smacking Ben and I wouldn't be feeling ashamed about it. And that pattern would still be going on. So... When we deal with one pattern and we get that out of the way, it's it's like fixing a chain. 
and you always go to the next weakest link. And so when you, you replace a weakest link, now you have to go and replace the next weakest link. And then the next weakest link about that. Now the chain is only as strong as the weakest link. So if you do it one at a time, eventually the, the, the quality of the strength of that chain increases. Um, and as a fun tangent, this is often true for what happens in the creative process when there's this one problem that's glaring at you and then you fix it. And then after you fix it, you see three other things that bother you. You weren't able to see them until you fix that one thing. And that's a really, really important part of the <laughs> the sanctification process of our artwork, if that makes any sense to blend all my metaphors together in a great big pot. Um, yes. So there's this process of we can only fix one thing at a time. And as we fix lots of little things over time, the quality of who we are and the quality of our relationships and metaphorically, the quality of our artwork all improves. And the beauty of that is that when we build the pattern of dealing with our patterns, we continue the process of sanctification and we continue to find and receive more and more peace with God and man. That is... That's a huge motivator for why I want to deal with my sin because I want the peace of God in my life. I want to face every nasty thing there that I have that I am doing or have done. You know, and God reminds me of things from 15 years ago and I just verbally repent and then I move on. I don't let it torment me. And if it's consistently tormenting you, you might need some vitamins to help you let go of that obsessive pattern because there's lots of chemicals that go along with that but um everything is connected that's why all the little things matter because it it all it's all it's the it's the building blocks of our life and yeah (sighs) okay how many metaphors can i dabble into in one podcast Somebody start a counter system. This would be really, really fun to keep track of. Anyways. Um. <laughs> now, what if you're in a situation where you're not able to identify a specific action pattern, but you have this particular family relationship where whenever you're with that person, there's, there's some sort of something that comes up. So, when I first left home and then started visiting for the holidays, I noticed this pattern. (laughs) Um, I left home the summer I turned 17, back in 2004, and I visited home every holiday for the next four years until I moved to Florida, because my family was in upstate New York, and I was in Pennsylvania, two different places. Anyways, it was a really busy season. Um, So over those four years, I noticed that when I would go home, there would be conflict that would happen. And I made it a goal 
and I actually called it a litmus test for my character development of when I go home, do I allow my family to make me angry? And I was listening to a podcast every day by uh, Stefan Molyneux, whose name is really hard to spell, and I don't know how to spell, but it's French, so it's pronounced Molyneux. Um, and he made the observation that we are responsible for our own feelings. No one else makes you angry. Or were we listening to Dave Ramsey? We were listening to Dave Ramsey. Both, both men are great. We were listening to the Dave Ramsey podcast, um, because money ties into everything else in life. Um, and he made the observation that no one makes you angry. You are responsible for your own emotions. Now, if you feel anger towards someone that is a result of their actions, a lot of times that is righteous and justified. As an example, Jesus pulled the whip out in the synagogue, excuse me, in the temple and drove out the money changers. And the context you need to understand for that is he allowed himself to act on his anger. And he chose to do that after visiting the temple every year of his life for 33 years and feeling that anger every single time he visited the temple for 33 years. Do you know? Okay, I'm about to get really emotional here. The money changers were doing two very, very horrible things. One, they were exorbitantly working the market to line their pockets and they were selling their animals at exorbitant prices and just fleecing and lining their pockets from the righteous Jews who were coming who couldn't bring an animal, say they're buying it there, but then they're getting completely ripped off on the price. But it's too expensive to bring an animal, so they just don't. So, it's... <clears throat> so number one, they were fleecing their fellow Israelites. And number two, they were doing it in the outer court. And what's important about the outer court is that that was the only place where Gentiles were allowed to worship. Gentiles being anyone who was not Jewish. So the righteous, faithful centurion who Jesus, there's, it's, it's in the Bible twice. And I'm going to tangent on this here because this is very, very important. The righteous centurion, there are two stories of this in the Gospels. In Matthew, it says the centurion came to Jesus. In another Gospel, I'm forgetting which one, possibly Luke, um, it says that the centurion asked the synagogue leaders in his area to go to Jesus on his behalf. And I think that's a very important note. You know, the stories parallel each other, are parallel in that the centurion went to Jesus and asked him to heal his servant. But in the Luke, or whatever, is it Mark or is it Luke, in the second story... You have an even greater example of his faith and also his humility in that he did not want to 
he showed the utmost respect for who Jesus was. And he said, I myself am a man under authority. I say to this soldier, go, and he goes. I say to this soldier, come, and he comes. I tell my servant, do this, and he does it. So you do not have to defile yourself as a Jewish man by coming under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said of him, I have not found faith like this in all of Israel. And the other, the other person who stands out is the Canaanite woman who chased after Jesus and said, Lord, my daughter is, is suffering from demon possession. And at first Jesus ignores her, but she persists. And he says, it's not right to take the children's bed, bread and give it to their little pets. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the pets eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus, Jesus, I think Jesus persisted in, allowed her to demonstrate her persistence as an example to his disciples, as an example to us. And so um, that Canaanite woman and that faithful centurion, the closest they could get to the holy place in the temple was the outer court, the same court where these buyers and sellers are just ripping off their fellow Israelites with the price of animals. So Jesus sits on his anger for 32 years. I mean, okay, he wasn't aware of it when he was a baby, but God the Father was aware of it. And they are one God, it's one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery. It's beautiful. It's exemplified in the Old Testament. Go read it. Jesus sat on his anger for all of those years, all of those centuries before, but he waited until it was time to provoke. And he said, my house, my father's house will be a house of prayer and you have made it a den of thieves. So there is a right time to feel anger. There is a right time to act on anger. And a very interesting principle that comes to us from Ezekiel is God will sometimes cause us to be bound in silence. What do I mean by this? Um, I don't have my Bible in front of me, and I'm just going to try and pull up from my head what I can remember. But the essence of of what is in Ezekiel, it's in the the beginning portion of it. I want to say within the first four, maybe five chapters. He says, you will be bound with cords and you will not be able to speak. And then when I loose you, then your tongue will be loosed and then you will speak and then you will call out the unrighteousness that you see. And so God has a very special way of sometimes we're in a social interaction and we see something and we see a word or a phrase or a behavior from someone else that just either infuriates us 
or it grieves us. It makes us sad because we can see the, the pride coming out of that person. And we can also see the, the consequences of that pride in their life. And we also see that they're completely oblivious to it. That's sad. But if God shuts our mouth and gives us nothing to say, then that means that I need to go home. God shut my mouth and gave me nothing to say. And I went home and I sat on it and I prayed. And you know, if when God has me say something, it will be his timing. Does it make me sad? Yes. Why does it make me sad? Because it makes God sad. But ultimately, he knows the best timing to confront us in our patterns, to confront us in the patterns that we don't even know that we're doing. And sometimes, very unfortunately often, as is the case, people will confront us for our sin, and they will confront us in unrighteous ways. If we are walking with God in humility, we will learn to receive their correction. And even though we are emotionally hurt because they confronted us from a place of sinfulness and not and a place of, of being judgmental towards us and not a place of love. And so one of the really painful things that we sometimes have to do is to recognize our patterns when they are brought to our attention in ways that are not kind or gentle or loving or nice. And loving and nice is not always the same thing. But um, if, if we can choose humility and choose to go to God and say, I'm sorry, please show me what to do. And if we can go to that person and say, I'm sorry for this pattern. I'm going to try to change. And then we let God show us when to confront them for their unrighteousness. When he chooses to cause us to speak. He's glorified by that. He is very, very glorified by that. And it comes back down to our heart attitudes. And how do we think about people? Because the way that we think about people will absolutely come through in the slip of our phrases and in the hidden behaviors. And people respect us or disrespect us based on those little things that we do that we don't know we're doing. And we make those actions based on our thoughts. And so that's why it is so important that we put our attitudes and our opinions in front of God. And, you know, when, when, we're, when we're tempted to judge people, we put that before God and we say, Hey God, I'm judging this person. And I'm recognizing that I'm judging them. And I'm recognizing that maybe that's not okay. Can you show me how to think about this person? Because... Changing our patterns of behavior is one thing, but changing the patterns of how we think, that is the root of everything. If we can submit our patterns of thought to God and trust him with how to change us, 
Oh boy. Oh boy. Mark the way of the blameless man, for the future of that man is peace. And I forget what psalm that is from. I want to say Psalm 37. But the principle is true. The more that we take responsibility for ourselves and ask God to help us change our patterns, the healthier and peaceful, the more healthy and the more peaceful our lives will be. And I want that. I want the peace that comes from being right with God and being right as best and as much as it depends upon me with my fellow man. My name is Meg. I love my Jesus and I believe in living inside out. So now it's your turn. Go and live it.